G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. In Series 10, Twista has a singular focus. We're identifying and sharing the story of Australia's world-changing startups. The startups that when they go from zero to one really do change the world. And not just the startups, but the founders, the investors. Australia is stepping up with some of our brightest sparks working hard to change the world. In this final news special of 2022, we assess what we've learned and get a preview of this year's Spark Festival. Summing up a very full year on This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Our Crowd. Our Crowd finds companies with the greatest growth potential and brings them to you. They believe in their deals and invest in them too. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com slash Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by User Testing. With User Testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com slash Twista for a free trial. User Testing, real human insight. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from the ground up with the Zendesk for Startups program. Learn more at zendesk.com slash Twista. To help us explore the lingering questions at the end of this 10th series of This Week in Startups Australia, we've invited two very bright and very in-the-know individuals to join us. Appearing on Twister for the second time, and the first time in a long time, is James Alexander. James founded the enormously successful Incubate program at the University of Sydney and recently left it to become general partner and co-founder of Galileo Ventures. James, welcome back to Twista. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. All right. So we haven't talked about Galileo, and I know that this has been your passion project for years now. So please talk to us about Galileo Ventures. What are you up to? Yeah, sure. So quick intro is that Galileo Ventures is a new seed venture capital fund. Uh, we got going uh, in the pandemic. So we were a pandemic fund, uh, launched, did our first check in 2020, which was fun. Uh, it was a very hard time to get a fund up during that year, I can tell you. But, you know, now that we could have the end of COVID in sight, it's, it's a bit of a relief to see, you know, we're, we've got 16 investments now. So it feels like we're in another universe to when we started. The, origin, the original inspiration for the fund and the thesis we have came from my time running an incubator at the University of Sydney uh and all that sort of work i did in higher education at that time as well so so it was a long time in the making essentially and i mean i think one of the things that incubate taught me when i worked there with you was the importance of helping startups find product market fit that that was the thing you really helped them with and that that is something that you taught me so that i've now been able to take that to other startups that i'm mentoring i mean i was talking to my nephew 
two weeks ago who wants to start a business where he's moved in Hawaii. And so I gave him a, here's, let's talk about product market fit for your business. <laughs> and I realized it was you coming through me in that moment. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> that was the case. <laughs> Joining James Alexander this morning is an old friend of Twista, Tech Central Executive Director Annie Parker. Welcome back to Twista, Annie. Thanks for having me again, Mark. All right. So, Annie, it looks like there's a lot going on in the district. I keep walking by Central Station. It looks like, is is that the Atlassian building that is starting to go up? Yeah, that's right. We did the... Um I call it a groundbreaking, but there wasn't actually any ground to break because it was just covered in cement. So let's call it a metaphorical moment um, of, of just alluding to what was about to happen next. We did that with um, Scott Farquhar, one of the co-founders of Atlassian. And obviously there were ministers and various different CEOs of different building companies that are actually building that place. But one of the cool things that I'd actually not quite understood about what's happening with that building, not only is it going to be one of the world's most uh, you know, sort of sustainable buildings as it as it goes up, you know, so they're doing a huge amount of work on sustainability and making sure it's quite, uh, carbon um, neutral, if not carbon negative. Um, but the other thing that's super cool is the first four floors of that building are actually going to be a, a new part of the youth hostel. What a great way of showing that actually this whole innovation district isn't just about buildings. It's also about affordable space. It's about affordable um, temporary housing or temporary accommodation for founders who want to perhaps come and visit Sydney. Maybe they're coming in from overseas. They need a cheap place to stay what a great place to stay that's going to be, given that it's going to be right next to Central Station. Then just across the road as well, on Pitt Street, Scale Up Hub, um, operated by Stone and Chalk. That opened on the 1st of July. Two of the floors of that are pretty much almost full, which is extraordinary given it's literally only been open for a couple months. There's so much going on right now, and yet... There's so much more to come. And I have this vision now of this idea that kids around the world will be taking a gap year. And if they're interested in startups and technology, then Sydney becomes one of those stops on the gap year. And wouldn't that be a great way of us being able to attract international talent? And frankly, you know, once they're here and if they've got great ideas or they've got great skills, we should be keeping them. That's right. <laughs> we'll have to talk to Ed Husick about that, that that visa pathway, the uh, the gap year startup visa pathway. All right, folks, let's get stuck into this. Topic one today is kind of the meta topic for the entire year, which is really what is happening economically around investing. Is it hot right now? Is it cold right now? Is the economy hot? Is it overheating? Is it imploding? Is it doing all of that simultaneously? How does anyone make an investment decision in this environment? Now, let me quote from a recent article in the AFR which was interviewing uh, Matthew Kirka, who is the head of Telstra Ventures. They just raised another $500 million for their fund. He said, the, the world hasn't stopped, but it's definitely not business as usual. Now, the firm has $1.3 billion under management. It's added 35 new investors, including superannuation funds, family offices, high net worth individuals. He said it was definitely harder than it has been. The environment is obviously very important. I think people are just cautious. And you can tell because Telstra Ventures normally makes 12 placements a year. 
they made one in the March quarter and one in the June quarter. So that already is telling you that they're basically working at one third the pace that they had been. Is this a problem or we know Annie Moru D was was it part of Telstra Ventures or connected to Telstra Ventures? You probably have some insight here. How how do you suspect that they're thinking now? It's a great question, Mark. And and you're right. You there was a, a, a loose connection between Murudi and uh, Telstra Ventures back in the day. Sadly, still miss the fact that Murudi got closed down. It, it hurts my soul. Um, but whenever we were sort of looking at you know, sort of graduating startups out of the program, we would often do trips over to the US. And of course, the, the folks from Telstra Ventures would be part of that, helping us to make connections, open doors, um, obviously to perhaps also talk about here's what the market is currently doing in the US right now, which perhaps a lot of Australian founders might not have been quite as close to. I think where I'm also seeing something else starting to crop up more and more and more is Telstra Ventures significantly not being the lead investor. They typically go alongside another you know, larger name that helps, again, in that de-risking principle. And I suspect we'll probably see more of that, um, which isn't necessarily a brilliant thing for a lot of Aussie founders, because, of course, that typically means that um, those lead investors are not probably from the US, sorry, not from Australia, they're from the US. And that makes life a little harder to, to kind of be the, be the person or be that in entity that gets the investment. But what I also am seeing is Telstra Ventures um, also investing alongside other big Australian VCs. So there is that pathway there. And I think that's probably, if I was an Aussie founder, that's probably what I would be doing is, you know, kind of doing my very best to get into the, the sort of the main sequences, the blackbirds, the air trees of this, sort, because I've probably got a better fighting chance of being able to unlock capital from Telstra Ventures through that pathway. All right, James, you are now in the midst of running a fund, raising a fund, all of that. How, how is it working? How is the ambient you know, uncertainty affecting you? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, I got back from this. So so I also have the added benefit of, of just uh, completing a bit of a world tour. So we went, we went uh, around the world. We ran you know, um, meetups in three different cities. And then we also, I also got, I also got to chat with a few, int- a lot of interesting um, top tier VCs, which was great. Um, definitely everything slowed down. Um, some of the funny things I ever heard was like, you know, everyone's looking for a lead, essentially. No one wants to lead. Everyone wants to just follow someone else leading. Um, and that's, that's definitely what I'm seeing a little bit in Australia too now with some of our own portfolio. You know, people, uh, investors are going, this is really interesting. Great. Come back to us when you have a lead investor. Then we might write a check. And it's like, great. Well, why don't you write a check now? And like, no, 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 no. Let's get a lead investor. Then we'll come. <laughs> so so I think I think the risk is off for everyone globally. Um, and that's just a reflection of what's happening in the capital markets and the public markets. Um, there's probably a deeper question as to like, what is the, how long will this environment last? You know, when do we go back to the environment? Do we ever go back to the environment of 2021 where cash was cheap and the valuations were insane? Um, and that's, that's, uh, that's, 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 you know, that's anyone's guess at this stage. I would say though, that generally speaking in Australia, we don't feel it as much as the U S, um, 
um, right now at least, and there's still a lot of activity happening, which is really good for founders. And we're seeing we're still seeing a lot of um, deals come through the pipeline, and we're still seeing a lot of interesting founders pitching us. And um, you know, you got to be a bit careful because some of this rhetoric of the funds is um, just sort of a little bit self-serving because in the end, the nice thing for us VCs is that the tables have slightly turned back to the VC setting the terms, whereas last year was pretty much the founders going, this is what my valuation should be. And we're like, okay, that's insane, but all right. <laughs> and now it's kind of like everyone's everyone's sort of taking a bit more of a level-headed approach. But yeah, it's still, it's still stuff happening. I think early stages are less impacted than growth stages. So big funds with over a billion under management um, have a lot more... They feel all the pain a lot more than we do, uh, small funds like me. Right. Okay. So you but you tie into something that we're also seeing that I want to talk to both of you about, which is inflation is still raging, which is affecting how everyone's doing business, but so are supply chains. Now, Annie, you have a bunch of builders building things, and builders are going bust at a rate of knots right now because the change in this in the cost of their inputs has become so variable that they have been unable to build the correct economic models and charge the right prices, all of this. No one can keep anything in stock. Good luck trying to get a new car, particularly if it's an EV. So how do you see, now, Annie, I mean, I want you to speak to it specifically from someone who's trying to manage a large project. And I think James speaks to it from how your companies are managing. How do you manage that high degree of uncertainty here? Uh, look, the, the truth is, it's just, you, you have to just do your best with whatever information that you have at the time. And it changes so quickly. And that, I think that, that predictability of particularly something like the property market was something that, you know, you could almost sort of, plan out an entire five-year plan and know that you could probably hit all of those milestones. We can't do that anymore. The predictability of the market is so difficult that we're getting to the point where, um, I'll talk about Scale-Up Hub, um, so the building that that's inside is you know, the, the property management company. They were saying, you know, we'll be done by you know X date and then six months later, we're still not there. And it's because you can't get the right materials. And, you know, they can't get into the country quick enough. And even if you can, they're now ten times more expensive than when we originally did the docket. So it's it is hard. It is unpredictable. But you know, in those moments, in those moments of unpredictability, is opportunity as well. So I think what we'll definitely start to see, and I'm I'm definitely seeing this with some of the um, deeper technology founders, instead of taking a, you know, a flight over to China to go and build a prototype, they are finding ways to do it here in Australia. And I think you will just see a lot more of that happening where we're, we're, we'll get, we're going to have to reinvest and actually have our own kind of facilities here in Australia to be able to do those things, whether it's, you know, hardware, whether it's property management, all of that stuff will just have to come back on shore. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Right. And there's this new term, friendshoring, right, for either doing it locally or doing it in a favored local nation. So, James, what have you seen? Uh, I think it's a really tricky time right now. But, I mean, I, I think there is a lot of positive signals still. So, so we, we have a f couple of con construction technology investments in our portfolio, actually. And it's kind of interesting to see it through their, through their eyes and that while there is disturbances in supply chain, there's still a lot of construction happening in Australia, which is great to see. Um, 
as I said, I think Australia is really lucky in a lot of ways because we're shielded from some of the, um, I think we're, we're somewhat shielded from some of the worst effects of, of what we'll see inflation in the US, which is pretty bad and it's going to get worse, um, is my guess. But, you know, again, this is not investment advice. Uh, definitely not for me anyway. Um, so so I, I would say that um, we are in a lucky position because we're a growing nation and there's a lot of people that want to immigrate to Australia as it is. So there's a lot of demand. There's not enough property. There needs to be more affordable housing. There needs to be more property built. So I think I think in some ways that will shield us in, in a little bit. From a from a technology perspective, though, you know we're yet to see some of the things that everyone keeps forecasting to hit the consumer markets, like consumer confidence and unemployment. We haven't seen any of that stuff. I think actually this week they just re- announced for the first time ever in history there are um, more open jobs than there are unemployed people or something. I think it was just it just changed over this week, which is a crazy stat to think about given what's happening in Europe and, U- and US. So. So I think Australia is a is definitely a, a, a sort of a country that's on the rise um, versus other places that are perhaps on the decline, um, and that and that will hopefully shield our businesses a little bit more. But nonetheless, um, it is a, a tricky time. And and to be honest, a lot of what what we're telling our companies is just going back to like profit uh, business model, um, uh, you know, normal business model stuff, which. Which in Australia, we're lucky because we have always liked to see fundamental business models. Business model fundamentals be actually quite strong. Uh, we never liked investing off just a, a deck in, in, in the sense that the US, uh, US investors were always very, a lot more comfortable with. And, and now they've basically got the chew that we, you know, Australian investors have. <laughs> that's, the, that's my interpretation anyway. When we return, we'll look forward into next year, and our panelists will recommend two more world-changing startups. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. As rising interest rates, inflation, and global complexity throw stock markets into turmoil, savvy investors are turning to alternative investments. Our crowd makes it easy for you to diversify your investments into a variety of expertly vetted high-growth private companies across stages, geography, and industries like biotech, cybersecurity, and renewable energy. Investments like these used to be reserved for elite institutional investors. But our crowd has helped sophisticated investors from over 90 countries invest in growing tech companies. Every month, Our crowd vets hundreds of companies, then brings you a select few identified for their outsized growth potential. Our crowd backs these investments. They commit their own capital and leverage their relationships with multinational corporations and global investment leaders to help drive their portfolio companies' growth. Discover investment options beyond the stock market. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community in the world at ourcrowd.com slash Australia. That's ourcrowd.com slash Australia. Individual results may vary. There's no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Invest wisely. And we're back on Twist's final news special for Series 10 with Galileo Ventures General Partner James Alexander and Tech Central Executive Director Annie Parker. All right, topic three, 
It's another year, and it is hard to believe that we're now entering the final quarter of 2022. So two questions. What have we learned so far this year, James? Oh, my, me? Uh, <laughs> what have I learned this year? Uh, that's a great question. I think I have learned this year that um, no matter what happens in the world, there are always entrepreneurs try to start and do new things, which is nice. I would actually say the more turmoil there is, the tends to generally push people to become more entrepreneurial, um, which is great. Um, I would say getting on a plane and seeing another country is great for your mental health. <laughs> That's the other thing I've learned after two years in lockdown. <laughs> Not that Australia isn't beautiful to visit. I have enjoyed visiting parts of Australia. Um, but um and um, probably the other thing I've learned a lot about is sort of just how Galileo invests and what we like to see in founders at our stage um, and and where, where I think Australia has a lot of strengths as well. I'd say we've definitely uh, built some confidence around those aspects too as a, as a firm. And so that's been really nice to see. Annie, what have we learned this year? What has 2022 taught us? I think it's taught us that um, you know, the world that we live in, the democracies that we hold dear are just always so easy to to lose sight of what's important and also really easy to go backwards. I had um, a a couple of friends of mine and I, we always do a a bingo card for what we think is going to happen for the next 12 months. And I I sadly put on mine that the the Roe v. Wade would would go. Um, it was pretty obvious to predict that given how the, the Supreme Court was stacked. But it's it's heartbreaking to see how you know a, a, a woman's right to choose can just be gone in an instant. So and also, who knew that we could have a prime minister that could secretly have what was it, six different ministries? Like democracy is so important and yet so easy to just see it kind of just be trashed in front of ourselves. Um, But, you know, we have to remain positive. As as James mentioned, there are so many people doing wonderful things out there. And as a reminder, the pessimists may sound smarter, but it's the optimists that create the future. Very good point. I I was actually in uh, the US when the Roe v. Wade uh, got handed down, and I can tell you the mood on the ground was just and and rightly so it was just astounding like everyone's like what is happening you know in this country how could this happen and um it was it was dire it was like watching a, a crashing ship in slow motion from the outside in being being on the ship at the time and you're just like oh my god um but you know it was great also see to see all the protests that happened i was in new york at the time um that you know instantly happened and and um, some of the other commentary that came out of it. Um, but um, yeah, very, very frightening stuff. All right, James, let's flip the view and look forward into 2023. What do you think we can expect out of next year in Australia's startup land? Um, that's good because I wasn't going to comment on Australian politics. Um, that's definitely not my domain. 
Uh, although I would say tech policy in Australia is looking very up. I, I, I think I think a lot of generally speaking, I, I've I've met and spoken with Ed Husek on a variety of occasions uh, before he was minister, and and um, I have a lot of faith that that they have um, a lot of interesting lofty goals to implement in a policy perspective. So it's great to see a lot of that coming together. To be honest, I mean we've been banging our heads with Canberra across both sides of the table for like last 10, 15 years. I know a lot of people that are involved in that effort and it's just, you know, it feels like nothing's happened and now all of a sudden things are changing. Um, so I'm very positive from a tech policy perspective. Uh, I think from a startup ecosystem perspective as a VC fund that has money to invest, um, we're in a very privileged position. So we're going to be out there making investments in early stage founders. Uh, we want to do a lot more next year. And um, I think we are seeing the quality just go up and up year on year. So um, overall, very positive and very interested to see the types of businesses um, that we come across. Annie, what about you? What do you see in next year for us? I, I echo James's point of positivity around having an innovation minister that frankly knows what they're talking about and cares about it. And I actually know who they are. I couldn't, yeah, for a good chunk of that 10 years, I actually couldn't remember who the innovation minister was at a federal level, it changed that often. Um, so it's wonderful to have someone like Ed Husick in that role. And I agree with, with James around that policy piece. That will just have such a, a knock-on effect all the way through the value chain as well, whether it's you know, being able to bring in more overseas talent, whether it's you know real hardcore investment into R&D. Again, the, the multiplier effect of that will just be huge for us. I think there's two other things that I do want to touch on though. So the first is, I don't think we know what COVID has taught us yet. I think we're, we're in the middle of it still, as in, and I think James is right, uh, you know, he made the point earlier, perhaps we can see light at the end of the tunnel and there will be good things and bad things out of that. The bad things will be long COVID and how, how we actually design solutions to support people with long-term chronic illness. But then I also see some good things, which is we saw an awful lot more collaboration you know, between research institutes and across country borders. And there were, you know, you know, whatever red tape that was in the way was removed. And I don't know whether you saw this, Mark, but earlier in the week, there was a new study that's come out revealing how um, they figured out how to do blood tests for early detection of cancer. And it not only detects the cancer before you know, there are any symptoms, it can actually tell you where, where a tumor might be in a person's body. I mean, like that is mind blowing in terms of how good that is for obviously for people who, um, who are at risk. But then the flip side of that is, well, if there are more early detections of cancer, how, what, what else do we need to be able to support that? Is it different treatments? Is it different support networks? Is it more people in healthcare? Perhaps we need to pay them better to attract the talent into the industry. So there's like such a lot of meta level things that I think are going to happen on the flip side of coming through the, the sort of, like I say, the end of COVID. Final question for both of you. The big theme in Series 10 is world-changing. We're talking about startups that when they go from zero to one, they change the world. We are identifying and working through a list of 10 of those this year in these series. So both of us, tell us about a startup that you know about. I mean, James, it might be something in your portfolio, and it might be someone in Tech Central. It might be just one that you know about. 
tell us about a startup that you know of that fulfills that, that when they get to scale, they change the world. James, we'll start with you. You're asking me to choose one out of my babies of investments. That's like picking your favorite child. uh, which you always can do, by the way. I'm, I'm very, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always in the pity of the Bob always has a favorite child. <laughs> um, 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 so I would say for okay, that I can I pick two. <laughs> I'm going to pick a consumer enterprise one. Um, just to touch on policy, though, I, I, I just before any mentioned the policy aspect, you know, I, I got to say I was. So this is sort of a props to you, Nani, because I was at the uh, investor roundtable recently, um, and I got to say the 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 collaboration I'm seeing now in the state, New South Wales, is really really uh, strong and interesting, especially around this whole precinct. So I'm super excited for all the work that um, all the hard work everyone's doing um, in that precinct area and, and the collaborations I'm seeing. So I'm I'm you know I think this is something that's invisible to a lot of everyday entrepreneurs, but I think, you know, we'll see the benefits of that in the next five to 10 years for sure. So I think I'm super excited for that. So I, I would echo the sort of the policy aspect there. But in terms of a startup um, enterprise, I would say is um, we have backed a couple. One of our first investments was a company called Relevance AI. Um, it's a really cool business. Basically, most data that businesses play with is unstructured. It's text, it's images, it's there's, you know, the, the, you know, we're not all data analysts. And so um, pretty much to this date, most AI tools are built for engineers and they were like, well, this doesn't make sense because most of the world can't, is, are not engineers um, and don't get benefit out of it. So, you know, how do we, how do we make this available for a lot of um, other business owners, the types of businesses? That, and, and it was, um, that's where it came from. And the reason I mention it is because the founder uh, I originally met at Incubate. So it's sort of been a very long journey with the individual entrepreneur. And um, um, it's really exciting to see. And I think if that has what goes where it goes, you basically change how we, people's relationship with data. And so what I mean by that is right now, uh, without spending too long, is that people kind of look at data and kind of go, well, someone else will kind of tell me the insights of this. But where we're heading is that you'll go, I want to know the insights of this. And, and every, everyone can be able to do it, um, you know, how that happens is another question, but that's where, that's the that's the kind of end goal we're heading to, which is super exciting. And then on the flip side of the consumer aspect, which is probably where most people will be interested in, um, we have a company going really, really well, founded by two amazing women in Melbourne. Um, it's called Lumi, and they are building a mental health app, which is actually a game and a mental health app second. And it was really interesting because the insight they had is that a good game um, can also be fantastic for your mental health. And um, it's an awesome game. It's called Kinder World, and it's all about creating a kinder world. And so you can check it out on iOS and Android right now. It's about growing houseplants. <laughs> what about you, Annie? Uh, look, I've got a couple as well, that, and, and probably for slightly different reasons. So um, personal non-tech central hat on, um, I've happily just invested in um, one of the folks that's been on Twister, actually, um, the fabulous Cheryl Mack and her program, Aussie Angels. So I'm, I'm proud to say I'm, I'm investing in that. And the reason why I think that's awesome, it's not actually just Aussie Angels itself. It's the fact that Cheryl built an entire platform to 
basically make it easier for people to set up their own angel syndicates. So not only did she want to have her own angel syndicate, she realized it was super hard, super clunky, really difficult and expensive. So she's built a platform to solve for that problem. And I think if we can get more Aussies investing in early stage companies through syndicates, which make it a little easier for you to perhaps learn how to do this, figure out where perhaps you might have your point of difference or your own kind of passion area. I think if we can get more really smart Australian um, folks to start investing in companies, that, that sort of unlocking that angel capital round would be so, so helpful for that first kind of check for your business and to make it such a lot easier for Aussies to get hold of. But both both ends of that actually makes it easier for folks to get funded and it makes it easier for people to actually look at this as an asset class that they can get more involved in. So that's in the personal answer. My professional answer from the Tech Central one, and this is, pr- it, it's less about um, yeah, the solution changes the world. It's more that the process they've gone through, if we can make that easier, it would be hugely beneficial for, for Aussie founders, particularly here at Tech Central. And it's most micro. They just closed a Series B round of $140 million. They're doing some really interesting stuff um, that their solution basically is semiconductors and Wi-Fi to be able to make IoT easier, faster, better. Now, of course, that solution will probably have its own impact on the world in its own right. But the reason why I love this story, they started through Startmate, probably Australia's best, if not longest serving um, accelerator program, certainly. They then went through Cicada and got nurtured through that program. They were invested in by um, quite a lot, I think, of the the main um, Aussie VCs. So main sequence, I think Blackbird and and a few others are on their their list. But what I love about that is the nurturing of how they started, how they grew, and now how they are now taking on, you know, on a global scale. But that's how we build a community. And if we can build that better through programs like in, in districts like Tech Central, not only will we get more Morse Micros, we'll be able to attract the the same kind of talent from overseas and, and genuinely put Sydney back on the map um, to be a, a, you know, a destination of choice for any founder and any investor. Makes me happy to hear you say that because Morse Micro was on Series 5 of this week in Startups Australia when they were still quite small and had just been funded by Main Sequence Ventures. All right, Annie, James, Thank you so much for joining us on this final news special of This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Annie. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We will be right back with our annual preview of this year's Spark Festival. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product, prototype, or marketing campaign, you'll get video feedback straight from the people you want to reach most. The user testing human insight platform lets you understand it all from their perspective. It allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. Unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or even months to deliver results, with user testing, you get to see real reactions and hear real opinions really fast in real time at the speed business demands. Very quickly, you get insights into what's working and what's not. 
so you can adjust your message, refine your UI, and understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product, service, and brand. The result? You feel what your customer feels, so you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com slash twista. User testing real human insight. It's the end of September, and as we've done every year since it launched, it is my great pleasure to welcome back Spark Festival director Maxine Sharon to This Week in Straps Australia. So, Maxine, tell us what's happening at this year's Spark Festival. Thanks, Mark. It is fantastic to be here again. Um, we're back to in-person events Woo-hoo! this year for Spark Festival, which is, yeah, it is really, really amazing, something to celebrate. We've actually ended up with a perfect balance, though, because for the last couple of years, as you can imagine, we had a lot of online events. But as a result, we developed an Australia-wide um, group of people who were contributing to the program. And as well as that, obviously tuning in to the program. So I was a little bit scared that this year it'd all go back to in-person and we'd leave lots of people out in the cold. But in true Spark fashion, it's about 50-50 split. We've got lots and lots of in-person events, especially if you're in Sydney or Melbourne, but then also in other random wonderful places. So do we have some in the regions again? We do. We've got Country Spark in Gundawindi is back. which is amazing. Yay. Love those guys. Yep. Um, we've got Hunter Innovation Festival happening in Newcastle. There's a few other bits and pieces that are slipping my mind right now. But most importantly, for everyone, wherever they are in Australia, there's about 50% online events as well. So doesn't matter, even if you are in Sydney or wherever and you can't get to the Sydney Startup Hub or you can't get to an event, there's plenty on the program for you. However, however, if you're lucky enough to be able to get to an in-person event, I really advise you to do it because in-person is basically back. And even when I saw you the other day at our launch event, it really brought that home for me. There was just so much wonderful energy in the room, so many new faces to yes. meet yeah. as well. So yeah, get there if you can. And. You know, that's one of the things we don't really talk about about Spark Festival is that it really is just as much a way to be able to connect in a community that you might not be too connected to yet. Absolutely. And there was a lot of that going on at that launch event the other day. I had quite a few people come up to me who are kind of new to the Spark world, but they're doing events this year. And they were just blown away. They couldn't believe the kinds of people that they were meeting and um, how easy it was and how welcoming and inclusive the whole vibe was. And I could tell just by the way they were talking to me that they were like, wow, this is something really special. I guess we did. We knew this because we knew it back when it was physically based, but maybe we, we forgot it. All right, take us through some of your highlights. What are some of the things? Are there themes? Are there specific things that are popping out? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, climate tech ah, good. has finally made it. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've had climate and energy tech events in the past, but this year there's about half a dozen to a dozen that are climate or energy focused in some way. Uh, energy Lab are back on the program, which is fantastic. Climate Salad, uh, lots of other things like that. Uh, Medtech and health tech mm-hmm. is another one. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, slowly, slowly is making its way onto the Spark program, a little bit because I did some um, non-Spark events this year that were focused in that area, and that sort of brought a few more interesting people into the fold. And I've actually just done a big mail out to that group as well, and first of all told them about the, um, the health tech and the med tech events that are on the program, but also pointed out that there's a lot on the program that isn't specifically health and med tech, but is, will be very welcoming and useful to them as well. You know, everything from you know, trying to work out how to do a term sheet to oh, how yeah. to get an advisory board for your business, yeah. all that kind of stuff that everyone kind of needs to go to know. And when you're starting out, you don't know, you don't it. know it, you know, so. Okay, so you've got climate tech, health tech, med tech. Med tech, we've got some quantum on the program as always. Uh, what else have we got? Lots and lots and lots of how-to sessions, as I just signaled then. Um, there's probably, I don't know, probably about 25% of the program is that kind of content. Um, so once again, you can come in not knowing anything other than you want to do a startup and leave going, I have a good list of things to do. Absolutely, you can. And I know so many people from previous years who have, you know, to use that phrase, they've found their spark at Spark Festival and they've learned so much and more importantly, they've connected so much, but they've also just got inspired by going along because, um, in fact, one of my favourite stories is from um, Mariam Muhammad who came along to an event, I think it was in 2018, and uh, it was at Haymarket HQ. And then by 2019, she presented at the same event at Haymarket HQ because she got so inspired on that day. She started Money Girl and um, she was back the next year. So and I'm sure that happens many, many times and I don't even know about it. Yes, no, I, uh, but I, it does show you how if you are receptive, if you're open and receptive and willing to dive in yeah. how much you can actually get from it. So how many events total are under the Spark Band? I think year? we'll have about 130, maybe even 150 wow. this year, which okay. sounds like a lot. I do my best to make that program manageable in some way. Um, there's lots of tags so you can work out what sectors you might be interested in or what stage. Um, plus there's always just that possibility, well, I'm free this Wednesday evening. Why don't I find out what's on tonight and go along to something? But yeah, there's there's a lot, but that's because Spark is a very broad church in a way. As I've just mentioned, we've got everything from how to do an advisory board to how to start a quantum startup. There's a, there's a lot of things in between there. There's social enterprise, climate tech, everything. Uh, we, and we've had some emphasis in years past about bringing younger people in. Is that going to be happening again this year? Yeah, we've sort of um, brought the whole Find My Spark community sort of into the main Spark Festival because it sort of felt like a bit artificial to have a distinction. Mm -hmm. In a way that there was always a bit of crossover and some of those the events on the Find My Spark program ended up being for teachers and, you know, what's the difference between a teacher and someone else wanting to teach people how to do a startup? Yeah. So we, we sort of brought all that in together. But yes, there are lots of events for young people right. as well. And also a lot of our general content is very open to young people, especially the online stuff. You could learn so much just by sitting at home. <laughs> as we all have over the last yes, three years. True. And I get, in fact, most of our events would probably be open to someone under the age of 18 anyway. I'm not sure how licensing works at events like that, but I doubt fish burners are going to turn you away. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think they won't let you have a beer, but they're, they're certainly not going to turn you away. Well, there's always away. some heaps normal for you anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Now, how do people get started? Where do they go? Actually, first off, what are the dates? Okay, very easy. October 12 to 27. All right. Clear so, the calendar. So that is 
14 days? Yeah, I so think it might be 15. 15 yes. days. And then go to... Sparkfestival.co. And you will find registration pages for 130 plus events that are all about startups, innovation, tech, all very welcoming and waiting for you. Maxine, congratulations and thank you for joining us in This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. The fastest growing companies have great products and great customer service. You build the great product and Zendesk will help you build great customer experiences that make your customers come back, just like Jason Calacanis. Jason has a very public obsession with amazing customer service and relies on Zendesk for his launch syndicate. Jason's limited partners use Zendesk to reach out to him about each of his deals. And Zendesk also handles inbound inquiries from startups looking for investors. Zendesk helps Jason provide the kind of customer service he demands. Apply for the Zendesk for Startups program to get their industry-leading customer service software free for six months. You'll also get access to Zendesk's community of startup founders and partners, plus dedicated onboarding guidance and support. Zendesk has everything you need to deliver the amazing customer experiences that will make your product a success. To learn more about Zendesk for Startups, visit zendesk.com twista. Big thanks to Twista sponsors Our Crowd, User Testing, and Zendesk. Big thanks to James Alexander, Annie Parker, and Maxine Sharon for taking the time to come on to our show. This show was written and produced by Mark Pesci and beautifully mixed by Luke Station. Come visit our website at thisweekinstartups.au. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. So check it out at thisweekinstartups.au. Next week, we'll explore the ninth of our world-changing startups. Which one is it? You'll have to listen to find out. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening.